home and possibly those in the gym. And speaking of the gym, um, this will be our final week of having the live stream in the gym. Uh, we've been looking out of the past few weeks and just hasn't been utilized with all the uh, kind of like the guidelines being softened and such. So uh, we do want you to know for those watching at home as well, if you do come back and want to take some extra precautions just to ease your way back into it, we'd be happy to set up something in the youth room for you to watch, uh, to be over there for a little bit if you're not quite yet comfortable to be in here in the sanctuary with us. So just keep us informed of that. But this will be our final week uh, with the gymnasium live stream. All right, men, this Saturday, Friday, I've been mentioning it for the past few weeks. It's the uh, overnight backpacking trip to Chi-Haw. Uh, registration closes tomorrow evening. We wanted to make an emphasis, note, though, and to let all the dads know that you can bring your older elementary sons or your teenage sons. Uh, you can bring them along. Um, if you're new to backpacking but want to experience this, uh, there's loaner gear available. I think Mike Presley and Grady have a store online somewhere you can order. I'm just kidding. They've got a lot of stuff from over the years. And so you, there can be some provided for you. But everything's on the blog. Go check it out. But the men get ready for this uh, weekend's backpack trip. Um, and today in the service, we just want to let you know about two special opportunities we're going to have. It's going to be fun to experience. We're going to have a baby dedication. Woohoo! Love doing those. And we're also going to recognize our seniors, our four seniors um, who are graduating from high school this year. And two of them are not here, but two are. But we just want to acknowledge them, pray for them, and recognize their great accomplishment of getting through high school and what the Lord has on for them the next steps. Well, let's stand, and I'm going to open us up with the time of Scripture to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning in song. This is Psalm chapter 145, verses 1 through 13. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's worship him to death.
Strong. 
forever God is with us forever God is faithful forever God is strong forever God is with us forever forever From heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow, to train the dead we owe, your suffering for our freedom. The Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out, my sin erased, it was my death, you died, I am raised to life, hallelujah, the Lamb of God. My name upon your heart, my shame upon your shoulders, the power of sin undone, the cross for my salvation the Lamb of God in my place your blood poured out my sin erased it was my death you died I am raised to life hallelujah the Lamb of God there is no greater love there is no greater love there is no The Savior lifted up. There is no greater love. 
there is no greater love there is no greater love the Savior lifted up there is no
constantly be turning our eyes to you, God, being fixed on you as we look forward, God, to your return, where you come and you call your children home, God, and we dwell with you for all eternity, God, worshiping you in your presence, God. We look forward to that day, God. Thank you for all that you do for us, God, for saving us, God, and sanctifying us and drawing us near to you, God, and showing us areas where we fall short, God, and where we need to repent and fix our eyes on you, God. So your name we pray. Gateway family, we get the joy of doing a baby dedication this morning. So AJ and Kalei, come on up here with Elena and big brothers Nate and Levi are welcome to come up here as well. Bring the whole family up here if you'd like to do that. Big brothers may not be sure what to think about that, right? <laughs> Come on up here, everybody can see you guys. <clears throat> so those of you who don't know, this is the Gamble family. So this is AJ and Clay, and they got their, their big boys here of Nate and Levi, and they've got baby Elena here today. And so we get to celebrate with them in a baby dedication this morning. Now, what are we doing this for? Why are they standing before you the church family. Well, they're doing this because they believe and understand what Psalm 127 verse 3 says, that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're not accidents, they are gifts, they are blessings. But ultimately we realize that our children don't belong to us. 
Our children belong to God, and God has entrusted them to us for a season to raise them in His ways. That means that these children are a blessing, that means they are a gift, but they're also a tremendous responsibility that God has given to us. And so they're acknowledging that before you this day. They're also stating here before you following an example that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You think back to 1 Samuel. There was a lady named Hannah who desired a child, and she promised God that if God would give her a child, she would give the child back to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, after God gives her the child, she says these beautiful words, I have lent him to the Lord. This is a great phrase, I've lent him to the Lord, that she is giving back to the Lord what the God had already given to her. And that's really what AJ and Clay are doing, is they recognize that all their kids, but particularly this morning as we talk about baby Elena, they're gifts from God. And they're acknowledging that they've received this gift, and they're giving their children back to the Lord, desiring to do what God has them to do for this season and training them in his ways. Now, as we do a baby dedication, there's two parts to this. There's a charge to you guys as the parents. But you guys aren't off the hook. There's a charge to you guys and the church family as well to come alongside. But we're going to start with a charge to the parents. And so I want to read to you guys two scriptures that are God's commands for you on this. First is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. These are familiar words, but ones we need to be reminded of often. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. To your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So God's command for you as parents is to let the word of God permeate your house. So out of your love for Christ, out of the overflow of that, your home becomes a place to where you talk about the word of God with each other and with your children when you lie down, when you get up, as you're walking, as you're living life. Similarly, we see in the New Testament as well, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we see a command specifically to fathers, but this is for both of you guys in this as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that you guys have a mandate from the Lord to be bringing up these precious children in His ways as you talk about His Word and keep the gospel at the forefront of your home life. So, in light of that, I have several questions for you guys. First of all, do you guys desire to seek God's grace to love Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength so that becomes the overflow of all your parenting? We do. We, I know you do. Do you desire to have a home where God's Word permeates all that you do? There you do. And do you recognize today that Elena is a gift from God entrusted to you to raise for such a time as this? Yeah. And do you commit this day by God's grace to seek to teach Elena, as well as the boys, God's way in the gospel and all that you're doing? We do. And do you commit this day to regularly pray for the day that Elena will trust Christ and seek to live for him all of her life? I know you do. Okay, now, church family, like I said, you're not off the hook. We have a commission and a charge for you as well because God calls us to not live individual lives but to be in community together. And few things more than parenting remind us our need for grace, right, and our need for one another. So, church family, will you agree to pray regularly for A.J. and Kalei as they raise Elena, to pray particularly that they will be able to seek the, seek the gospel first in all that they do? Will you agree to pray for them in that? Now, that didn't sound... Very committed. Do you agree to pray for that? There we go. That sounds better. And do you agree to pray for baby Elena that she will trust Christ at her early age and walk with God throughout her days? Will you agree to do that? Yes. There you go. That sounds good. And then last question. Will you agree to come alongside AJ and Clay in very practical ways to help and encourage and nurture them as they seek to raise their family God's ways? Would you do that? I know you will. And so I want to remind you, we've said this about many other children here at Gateway Day. I want to encourage you 
to remember to pray for the families, God. We remember to pray for the children of God. We remember to pray for the parents because we need God's grace in all that we do. So I want to pray over you guys, and then we have a Bible for her. But let me pray for you guys. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the Gamble family. We're so thankful in your providence. You have brought them to Gateway, and we're so thankful, Lord, that you've blessed them with little Elena. Father, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And we do pray, particularly for AJ and Kalei, Lord, that you will just let your Holy Spirit so fill them that they just delight in you more than anything else. As it says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I pray that would be true for them. And I pray their kids would see the overflow of their joy in you, their delight in you. The kids would see the overflow of your grace running after them. And they would see the difference that you are making in their lives. And their children would see the difference and desire to have what their parents have. And we pray for much grace for them as they seek to raise their children your ways. Father, this is a difficult challenge in the world we live in, but we pray for much wisdom for them to know how to parent these three precious children, to know how to navigate their kids in walking with you in this life. We pray particularly this morning for baby Elena, Lord, that she would trust you at an early age. God, that you would be setting her apart. You'd be stirring her heart and drawing her close to you. That at an early age, she would confess with her mouth that Jesus is Lord and she would desire to walk with you. And God, we pray that you use her mightily for your kingdom. God, that you would use her to make you known in this generation, that she would become a great mouthpiece of God who will proclaim your greatness and your glory above all else. And so we pray that you would do this incredible work in her life and use her and use this whole family for your great glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. But we have a Bible for her. It's a little precious pink Bible we want to present to you guys, and we're excited for you guys. Let's let's join in celebrating with them this morning. Thank you, guys. And Big Brothers did amazing up here as well. Good job, Nate and Levi. <laughs> so next I want CJ, our associate pastor, to come up here. And he was going to do a presentation for us for our youth seniors. We have four seniors who are graduating from our youth ministry and headed up towards college and to the next step of life. And so I want CJ to um, fill you in on that and give you an update on them. Well, it's, it's just a sweet time today because I think in all my years at Gateway, I don't think we've ever had a baby dedication before a senior recognition. And I love that because we get to dedicate a little one, and then as we all committed to partner and come alongside to pray for and to support this family, we get to honor and celebrate today what a lot of families have done with these seniors, have come alongside and been in the trenches with them, encourage them, pray with them until these young people are now um, graduating from high school. So it's just a neat time to have these two on the same day. Two out of our four not here today. They just weren't able to be with us, but we're still going to obviously recognize and acknowledge them and, and what they're about to endeavor with their new adventures. So uh, the two that are here, when I do call your names, if you could come just up here to the front, and then we'll have your parents come up after so we can pray over you guys at the end. But the first one we want to recognize is Heather Elizabeth Reed Ford. So I want to make sure there she is. Um, she is graduating from Alabama Christian Academy, and she plans to attend the University of Mobile to play basketball, which is great. She gets a scholarship to go there to play hoop, and she's going to major in child psychology. So we just are so grateful that Heather's uh, been with us and able to um, launch out and go to the University of Mobile. Next one, and she is here. We would like to recognize Kennedy Grace Hamlet. Is Kennedy here? She is. Come on up. Y'all give her a hand. Big accomplishment. Yes. Kennedy's graduating from Pike Road High School. She is enrolled at Northern Virginia Community College and will work towards a dental hygiene degree starting this summer. I will have to add on to her little part. Sadly, this is the Hamlet's last Sunday with us. 
And so we would ask you as a family to please, if you would come down at the end of the service during our final song, we would love to pray over you, encourage you, and just so grateful the Lord has had you all with us for the short time that he has. But we're going to miss Benjamin in the youth group as well. Just a great young man and very excited that he's been a part of that with us. So please come down at the end. Next, we have Trinity Grace Ward. She is here with us. There's Trinity. Give her a hand. (laughs) Trinity is uh, graduating from Ezekiel Academy, and she plans to attend Troy University in the fall with a major in history and a minor in English. And lastly, my nephew, who is not able to be with us today, Trevor Mason Watley. Um, Yes, give it up. Roro's there going, yes. And y'all, this is my sister's last one. This is it. Woo! Don't get emotional. I'm sorry. Okay. But uh, Trevor's graduating from Evangel Family Christian Academy. He'll continue to work with his older brother, Kyle, who played the drums today. There he is. Uh, with his career at Target Lawn Care with the hope of one day working in the building and construction industry. So he's going to continue on with the career he's already been a part of. So we would like to present, um, if the parents would come up. Trinity, first, we'd like to present to you this ESV study Bible. Remember, I've mentioned this a lot in youth group. You're going to like that one. So, good tool, good tool. And if the Hamlets could come up, they uh, also are going to present. They're going to have a Bible for Kennedy. And when we found that out, because we had one for I'm like, man, this is going to be a good one to give her. So, it's not a textbook, I promise. She's like, I'm already going to have a lot of textbooks. This is a great, just a resource. It's an ESV Bible atlas with all kinds of historical context and information to kind of use as a resource to go along with your Bible. So, But we're so proud of you ladies. I know you've endured in four years of high school and all that you've done. I know your parents are very proud. So if you guys can come in close, and we just want to pray for them, guys. Just join with me. And we'll, again, we're going to pray for Trevor and Heather as well, but very excited about the new adventure for these young people. God, we thank you so much. Lord, I continue to be reminded of Proverbs 16, 9, where it says, man plans his ways, but God, you order our steps. And we thank you, God, for ordering the steps of these young people, of these seniors who are graduating from high school, who have put in the time and effort and endured and studied and toiled for four years to get get a degree. And now, God, the next adventure begins. We thank you, Lord, where one door closes, another opens. When one chapter ends, you open another. And we just thank you so much for um, Heather and Kennedy and Trinity and Trevor. We thank you, Lord, for their lives. Um, We thank you for their walk with the Lord. We thank you for the impact that they've had uh, with their friends and their schools and here at this church. We thank you for what you have for them, the steps that you've ordered for them in each of their schools and careers. We pray, God, your protection. We pray, God, you continue to give them eyes to see and ears to hear you, to be led by your spirit, to give them wisdom and discernment as they take that next step, God. And many leaving home and going to these schools and living on their own and all the next adventure has. But, God, we know you're so faithful. You're so good. You're with them every step of the way. And, God, we thank you that they now get to walk in the faith on their own, not just under their parents' house, but now they get to walk this out with you one-on-one to be able to see the plans that you have for them, to advance your kingdom, to represent you well wherever you have them. Again, God, protect them, provide for them whatever they need, and may they be encouraged to know you have great things in store as they represent you as your ambassador wherever you're going to send them. We ask you to bless them and the families for the parents that I know emotionally are struggling and kind of the releasing of things, God, but we just pray you continue to bring comfort to them, strength to them as they release them into your hands, God, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give it up for the girls. Yes. Amen.
All right. Just briefly, let's go before the Lord again, and let's just uh, do this prayer before offering and before Grady comes up. God, we praise you. We thank you. We continue just in the spirit of worship to offer these uh, petitions to you, God, and we just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for Seth and Megan and the volunteers who are continuing to serve the Capitol Heights families through the Hopes Ministry. We pray, God, you continue to provide for them and give them wisdom and insight as there's so much need. God, there's so much need. We pray that you give them wisdom on strategies and what to do and how to do it. But God, more than anything, we thank you that the gospel is at the forefront. These individuals are hearing about you, hearing about your love and grace and mercy and your faithfulness. So continue, God, to guide and direct their steps. Lord, we thank you for those at Cloverdale Baptist Church, our brothers and sisters over there. We know, God, that they're in the midst of looking for a new pastor. We pray you continue to give them wisdom and guidance as they look to the shepherd that you're going to provide for them. Lord, we thank you for their preschool academy that's been running for years and has been faithful to bring your gospel to take care of these young children and the families. We pray you continue to bless them and provide all their needs uh, that they need for those kids. Lord, we also lift up uh, Governor Ivy and Mayor Reed. Lord, you tell us to pray for our governing authorities and specifically for these two, God. I know that there's a great weight upon both of them each day as they try to govern uh, the state and this city. And God, we pray more than anything else, God, that they know you intimately, that you would bring conviction to their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would seek your wisdom, your knowledge, your discernment, just to know you, God, first and foremost, as a son and as a daughter. And Lord, beyond that, we pray that you give them wisdom and guidance as they govern, as they make decisions, that they would look to your truth, look to you, God, for answers and for wisdom, and protect and watch over them, especially during this season with many tough choices to be made. Uh, we just pray your kingdom come and your will be done in both of their lives for the benefit of our state and our city. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray globally. We thank you that we've been able to uh, pray some of these prayers of individuals that we get information from the International Missions Board. And God, we thank you we get to pray this morning for a specific little girl who is in northern Mozambique, uh, whose family is ministering among the Yahoo people in that nation. And she's been struggling with liver issues for over a year now. And God, this family has cried out for mercy and for prayer all over the world that God, you would heal this little girl. And God, all through scripture, we've seen the entire New Testament. God, your entire ministry, Jesus, was about proclamation and demonstration. And God, we pray now that we're going to flip the script and we pray for a demonstration of your power to be manifested by healing this little girl so that in turn they can see more proclamation come forth and say, God, you get glory. You get the credit. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, and you haven't stopped being God. You continue to work miracles, and we pray that you would heal this little girl's liver issues, and out of that, there'd be an opportunity to share her faith, that this family would be able to give you honor and glory, and that we would see a revival break out in the community of the Yahweh people, and salvation would come to them. And Lord, we thank you for your resources. Thank you for your provision. For We are a blessed people. We thank you so much for having the opportunity today to give back to you. And we pray that you bless whatever comes in, God, for the sake of your kingdom and for us to advance what you need to do in and through Gateway here. And God, thank you so much for bringing Grady and his family back safely from vacation. We thank you, Lord, for his heart, for his shepherding, how much he loves us and cares for us and brings us your word each week so faithfully. We pray you give him strength and wisdom and discernment this morning that we get to hear your words through his lips. 
and that you would guide and direct him today as he brings your word forth. God, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. Everything that we've declared and sung, you are worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory, because you are the power. You are the source of all things. Life and authority is in the name of Jesus, and we exalt you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Girls are dismissed to kids' worship, first to fourth grade. If you want to go with Mr. Rick and Miss Kim, they're waiting at the door for you. I want you to find Exodus chapter 20 in your copy of God's Word this morning. Exodus chapter 20. We are, if you're visiting with us, we're in a study we're calling Rooted, being grounded in the Word. We're trying to understand deeply what we believe to anchor us in the world that we live in, to help us better know how to grow and mature in Christ, help us better know how to encourage one another, and to help us know how to reach the lost with the unchanging message of the gospel. We began a section of our Rooted study two weeks ago, and it's a section on the law. And the commandments that God gave to us, the rules that are to be followed. And we began with a question two weeks ago, what does the law of God require? If you remember two weeks ago, we, saw the, we said the law of God requires that we perfectly and perpetually obey God by loving Him and by loving others. That God's standard in the law was perfect obedience, not just when it's convenient, but all of the time. And not just in the externals, but from a heart attitude of loving God and loving others. And as we saw the reality check two weeks ago... We can't do that, can we? We've broken the law many times each day over these last two weeks. Therefore, we see our need for grace. We saw our need for forgiving grace when we break the law for God to forgive us of our offenses against Him. But we also saw our need for transforming grace as God grows us into maturity. Then last week we began even a a subsection of the law. We're spending several weeks looking at the Ten Commandments. And CJ did a great job last week of taking us through the first two of the commandments. And we're going to continue that this morning. Now before we jump into the third commandment, I want to remind us of the setting of where these commandments were spoken. We're in a day and age where the Ten Commandments get kind of laughed at and seen often as antiquated or dated. I want you to see the significance and the seriousness in which they were given. So if you're looking at Exodus 20, before we get to today's text, just look back up a few verses to Exodus chapter 19. We'll see verses 16 to 20 here, just to be reminded of the setting of what happened here. CJ talked us through last week of when this happened. The Jewish people had come out of slavery in Egypt. They had the Exodus. God is now leading them through the wilderness, and they stopped at Mount Sinai, a mountain there. And look at where we pick up in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. It's going to remind us of the setting and the seriousness about which this happened. This is God revealing his will to his people, and we see the presence of the Lord in what's happening here. And there from the mountain, God spoke the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. Friends, let's just pause there, that we are reading what the voice of God said to the people. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then what follows from these verses that we've just read are what we call the Ten 
commandments. Four of them are what you would call vertical commandments. They deal with how we relate to God. And then the other six deal with horizontal commandments, how we relate to one another. And again, last week we looked at the first two of those vertical commands about how we relate to God. The foundation commandments about knowing God as the only true God. The foundation commandment about not having any idols in our life, which are not just carved statues, but as CJ showed us, can be anything that we love more than God. With that as the foundation, we come today to commandment number three. And our question from the catechism is very simple this morning. What does the third commandment require? What does the third commandment require? Like, what is required by God in the law here in this third of the Ten Commandments? There's just one verse for us to read this morning, but a lot for us to consider from it. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 this morning. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, that we have God's revelation to us of what He wants us to know. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have not hidden yourself from us. God, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us and to show us who you are and to show us what your will is for us. Lord, I pray today that as we look at this third commandment, Lord, that we would see you God, that we would see your character and your nature and how important your glory, your name, your honor is this morning. And so would you turn our hearts to the things of you? Would you encourage us where we need encouraging? Would you bring conviction where we need conviction? All for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, at first glance, this seems pretty simple, doesn't it? One short command, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. In fact, it seems so simple. I think a lot of times when we approach the Ten Commandments, we kind of take a sigh of relief when we get to this one, right? We've seen the first Ten Commandments all about idolatry, and as CJ showed us so well last week, there's so many things that can be idols in our life, and so we deal with the conviction of that and kind of the, the weight of that of how many things do I love more than I love God. And so we get to Commandment 3, and we're like, okay, we're dealing with a name, we're dealing with one word here. This kind of feels like a sense of relief for us. But in reality, this commandment is much deeper, much more applicable, and as I've studied the last few weeks, it's been much more convicting than I think a lot of times we realize. Now, to help us understand and unpack this commandment, I want to do what we did a few weeks ago. I want to give us four questions to guide our discussion this morning as we dig into God's Word. And now I'm going to give you our answer to what is the law, what does the third commandment require at the end, not at the beginning. So we're going to do it a little bit different today, but four questions kind of build us towards what the answer is. The first question this morning is, what is so significant about God's name. So we're going to start right there. What's so significant about God's name? We'll move from there to why is obedience to this command so important? And then look at question three of what then is prohibited? What is this command telling us we cannot do? But I want to make sure we don't stop there. And our fourth question this morning is going to be what is required then by this command? So what's so significant about God's name? Why is obedience so important to this? What is prohibited? And then what is required? And we'll kind of work through that to build to what the answer so our question is, and that is, what does the third commandment require? So let's start with question one. What is so significant about God's name? <clears throat> now, if you think about it, friends, have you ever stopped to ponder this? Out of all the things God is saying, as he gives his will and reveals his law here, of all the things he could first point out to his people, after he deals with, I'm the only God, you cannot have idols, the very next thing is everything about his name. Why in the world does God focus so much on his name that out of all the commands he could give, the third command is about his Name. We'll go back to our verse for the morning here, verse 7. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, some important terms for us here. If you look in your copy of God's Word, the word Lord is in all caps. Now, you know this now from our other studies. When you see Lord in all caps, this is the word Yahweh 
from the Hebrew language, which is what this was originally written in. It was just four simple letters in the Hebrew language, but this is the covenant name of God, the revealed name of God. And so as we read this, you should not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. Now, this word God here is the Hebrew word Elohim. That's the general word for God. So what we have before us is you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your Elohim, your God, in vain. Now, why is there a command about the name of God? Because you need to realize at the time when you talked about the name of God, it was not just about the letters on the page. There was nothing mystical about these particular letters. The name represented the whole person. And don't miss that. In this cultural time, when you talked about someone's name, you're talking about the whole person. Their name represented their nature. Their name represented their character. Their name represented, represented their essence and even their reputation. The name was important because it communicated who the person was. And that's still true in many ways today, isn't it? I doubt that any of your parents, when you were conceived, said, I don't care what we name her, just pick something random. It doesn't matter. Just pick something. It doesn't matter. That, that's not what happens, right? Your parents agonized over your name. And just as if you, those of you who are parents, you've agonized over your kids' names. You want a name that honors. You want a name that carries a certain identity, that carries a family history, that carries biblical truth. You agonize over it. And if you're like us, we had lists with syllable counts. And we had lists to make sure the initials didn't spell funny words like GPS or gas or whatever else, right? You, you agonize over the name of your child. And your parents agonized over your name because the name represents the whole person. The name represents the character, and that name goes with them for life. And so a name is significant because it represents the person. With God's name, it takes it to an even greater level, because these are not terms we invented to describe God. God has no beginning. God has no one created him. He's always self-existent. So when we talk about the name of God, we're talking about the name that God picked for himself from all eternity back. In an amazing act of kindness, God has revealed to us what his name is. We see this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. If we go just a little bit forward, this is a fascinating request from Moses. And imagine saying this to God. Moses says, God, please show me your glory. Now, before we move on, if you were God, how would you answer this request? You have a person on the earth that you've created, that you've spoken to being. And this person says, God, show me your glory. Okay, I'd probably be tempted to make the earth shake real violently at that point, right? And to have lightning start flashing through the sky and to have like thousands or millions of angels appear and start singing of God's glory, right? There's a lot God could do to show his glory. But notice what God does to show his glory here to Moses. Verse 19, the next verse, this is fascinating. And God said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And here it comes. Here's how he can show his glory. And I will proclaim before you my what? God's going to show his glory to Moses by proclaiming, by speaking to Moses his name. And the name here is the Lord, Yahweh. The, the way God chose to answer Moses' bold request here to see the glory of God is God spoke to Moses what his name was. Because his name communicates his character. His name communicates his reputation. His name communicates all of who he is. Therefore, Scripture says his name is above Every name. I love how the Psalms described in Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. In Psalm 8, 1, you see how majestic it is. A Psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. So, what is so significant about God's name? It is his self revelation of who he is, and it shows us his majesty and his glory. God's name is significant. This is an important command because his name shows us the character, the nature of God. It's his kindness of his self-revelation to us to show us his glory, to show us who he is. That then leads to our second question for this morning. 
Why is obedience to this command so important? Did you notice something we read this back? Go back to verse 7. Of all the commands in the Ten Commandments, there's two, or really three here, that have a serious threat of punishment. What CJ taught for us last week, there was a serious threat of punishment for disobeying this commandment, but this one carries that as well. Look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. That means God will not let a guilty person go free. That means God will not let someone get away with something wrong. Out of all the other commands that come, do not murder, do not lie, all these other commands, they don't have the warning that this command has with it. The warning about God's name is as serious as the warning about idolatry here. There's a weightiness to this. And again, we kind of breathe easy when we get to this command, but there's a weightiness even in the warning to us here that you see related to the idolatry of the previous one. And the warning here is that if you use God's name wrongly, we'll talk about that in just a minute, God will not hold that person guiltless. In other words, God will not let that person go free. This is a promise that everyone who uses God's name wrongly will be punished for using God's name wrongly. Now, God does not tell us what the punishment will be. God does not tell us when the punishment will come. Now, we know it's not often immediate, because if every time someone said God's name in a wrong way and lightning struck them, I think we'd all quit doing it pretty quickly, right? But this is not saying just because God is delaying the punishment doesn't mean it's not coming. God has given his word, and God does not change here, that the God will punish everyone who takes his name in vain. And if it does not happen in this life, that will come when we stand before the judgment seat of God. And we see the God who is all majestic, all glorious, who speaks his name that we have misused throughout our life. Judgment is coming for everyone who uses God's name wrongly. Why is God so strict about this, friends? Because of what we just saw. Because his name represents him. Because his name is his character, is his nature, is his glory, is his beauty, is the summary of all of who he is. And as CJ showed us last week, God is rightfully jealous for his name's sake. God is glorious, and therefore his glory needs to be held up. Therefore God is jealous that his name be honored in this. So what is so significant about God's name? It shows us who he is. It's his self-revelation. It's his nature. Why is obedience so important? For that same reason. Therefore, God is going to punish those who misuse his name. And with that threat of punishment, that leads us to our third question for the morning. What exactly is prohibited here? This is important. If God is going to put in in the Ten Commandments, if only three of these commandments have a threat of punishment with them, I think we need to understand what exactly God means by not using his name in vain. So go back to verse 7 this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, what in the world does that mean? Now, first of all, the word take here, literally in the Hebrew, means to lift or carry. You're not to lift, you're not to carry the name of God in a certain way. Now, to lift or carry here is just a metaphor to describe speaking. When you speak, you're carrying something, you're presenting something, you're showing others something. So it's just a way of saying you're lifting the name of God, you're speaking the name of God. And what God says, you cannot carry his name, you cannot speak his name in ways that are vain. Now again, in Hebrew, this word vain literally means to be empty, to be worthless, or to not have purpose. So to be speak God's name in vain, to carry God's name in vain, is to carry God's name, to speak God's name in a way that is empty, that is worthless, or without purpose. And what does that mean? Well, of all the things the ESV Study Bible, which CJ gave to the, the seniors this morning, has a great definition. It says to speak God's name in vain is to speak of God, notice this, disconnected, from his person, his presence, and his power. So to use God's name in vain is to speak God's name disconnected from his person, his presence, or his power. 
Now think about that. That means with anything that includes speaking about him in ways that do not honor who God is as a person. Speaking about God in ways that do not remember his presence with us. Speaking about God in ways that do not hold up and display his power and his glory for others to see. To speak God's name in vain is to speak it in ways disconnected from his person, presence, and power. Ways that are empty, worthless, and without purpose. Now what exactly does that mean? That's still kind of nebulous. How do we bring something concrete to it? I want to give you this morning seven possible ways we can speak God's name in vain. Now, there may be others, so this is not an exhaustive list, but these are seven ways that I've been studying this that I found that we can speak God's name in vain. Now, we're going to start with two that are going to be pretty obvious that I hope none of us have done this week. And I, from what I know about you guys, I don't think these two are the challenges for us, so others are. So seven ways we can speak God's name in vain. Number one is to mock his name. Is to mock his name, to laugh at his name, to ridicule God's name. You see this happen in Scripture of the Crucifixion, Luke chapter 23, verse 35. This is a sad example of mocking the name of God. And the people stood by watching, watching as Christ was hanging on the cross. And the rulers scoffed at Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Number three, there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Do you see how they were using God's name, not in reverence, not in belief, but in mockery, a laughing at God. And that's still done today. You watch entertainment, you watch what comes out of Hollywood, you see how people talk. God's name is regularly mocked by non-believers all across the world. So we use God's name in vain when we mock it because we're using it in a worthless way. We're not using it to honor him, we're using it to dishonor him. So mocking his name. Number two, though, cursing God. Cursing God is a second way that we can use his name in vain. By cursing God, I mean expressing our displeasure with him, expressing our anger with God because we, he hasn't done what we want him to do. There's an example of a temptation to this where one did not follow. Job chapter 2, verses 7 to 10. It's a situation where Satan has gone out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He's got suffering that none of us have endured. And he took a piece, this is Job, took a piece of broken pottery which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. He was in such pain. Verse 9. And his wife said to him, you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die. She was angry with God, and she was stirring up Job to be angry with God because life was not what was expected. And in verse 10, but Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, or shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. There was a temptation for Job to curse God because life was hard, and life didn't go like he wanted. But Job chose not to. So when we curse God and express our anger at God, we're using his name in vain. Now, I want to clarify here, friends. This doesn't mean we can't bring our hurts before the Lord. You saw this when we walked through the Psalms. You have the psalmist saying, where are you, God? God, I'm struggling. How long is this going to last? And we have a freedom in Christ to go to God and be real with God and bring our hurts and our pain. And we don't have to hide those from God. We don't have to do any pretense with God. But when the Psalms do it, they're doing it not cursing God. The psalmist go to God where their hurts, say, being real about their hurts and saying, God, help me. And there's a big difference. So this doesn't mean we have to hide our feelings, but it means we go to God from a place of faith, bringing our pain, not going to God with anger, shaking our fists, saying, how dare you have done what you did. So two, first two ways we can use God's name in vain, we mock him or we curse him. But let's move to things that are perhaps more of a temptation for believers today. Number three, using God's name to express surprise or anger. Using God's name to express surprise or anger, Right? You probably know the examples, but the, oh my God, when you're surprised that something has just happened, or the person's out doing construction, they hit their finger with a hammer, and they're like, Jesus, or Christ, because their finger's been hurt, or God followed by some expletive to express anger to someone else. Using God's name to express surprise or anger is using his name 
in vain. Why? We saw it earlier, but Psalm 29.2 tells us how his name is to be used. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. When we speak God's name, it's to be done from a place of worship, a place of holding up his glory, a place of using it to ascribe worth to him. And friends, when we use God's name to express surprise, we're doing the exact opposite. Because when we say, oh my God, or Christ, or whatever else, to express something in our own heart, we're using the name not to worship God, but to worship self. We're doing it to communicate our wants, not God's wants. And so we've actually flipped it. And the reason that's such a dangerous thing is because we've taken the name that's to be held up and honored and ascribed greatness and glory to and made it all about me and the pain on my thumb or my surprise that I got a new Lego or something, right? You know, we use it in all these ways. And so we've taken something about God's glory and made it about our glory Instead, So using God's name to express surprise or anger is another way we do it. Number four, though, how else can we use God's name in vain? We use God's name in vain when we use it to add credibility to our own speech. We use it when we use God's name to add credibility to our own speech. It could be something more formal like, I swear by God, I really did not do that. Or God is my witness, I really did mail you that check. When we're trying to boost our own self by adding God's name to it. So one of the scholars I was reading about two weeks back on this said it in an interesting way as well. He said, this also includes when we claim that God has told us things to do. We try to justify ourselves before others. When we try to tell people, God's told me you have to do this. We try to justify our own agenda. Philip Ryken, who's one of the translators of ESV, said it this way. He said, a more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. It's by using God's name to advance our own agenda. Agenda That we use God's name in vain when instead of worshiping and honoring, we use it to boost what we want to see happen in our lives or the lives of others or to add credibility to ourselves. That's why Jesus warns about it, and James picks it up. If you remember back when we studied James, James chapter 5, verse 12, he said, But above all, my brothers, do not swear. Because there was, again, this tendency at the time to swear by the temple or swear by things in the temple or swear by God's name or swear by heaven. He says, Do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because we don't need to try to add credibility to our speech and bring God's name down to our level to boost ourselves. God's name is to be different and higher, not something we use to serve ourselves and advance our own agenda. So four ways so far we can use God's name in vain. We can mock it. We can curse it. We can use it to express surprise and anger. We can use it to add credibility for our own speech. Number five, though, and these last three perhaps get a lot more hit closer to home for us of things that perhaps we've even done some this week. Number five. Is using God's name as filler words in our prayer. Several scholars hit really hard on this as I've been studying this, that when we use God's name as filler words in our prayer, we're using it in vain. Because remember, vain means to use it in empty, thoughtless ways. You ever heard the prayers that are prayed, God, we thank you, God, for this beautiful day, God, for your love, God, for God, your... And we just kind of throw it in as like a comma or a spacer in that. Now, do we do that with any other name? And my family would think I'm nuts if when I get home for lunch, I'm like, Julia, thank you for lunch, Julia. It's a beautiful lunch, Julia. And Julia, it was a great lunch. And Julia, thank you for doing this, Julia. You're a beautiful wife, Julia. I just, I use, like, we don't do that with names. Why? Names aren't just spacers. Names aren't commas. It would dishonor my wife if I use her name as a filler to catch my thoughts, right? We need to catch your thoughts. You pause. That's what we do in every other conversation. But for some reason in the church world, we take God's name and we use it in such a thoughtless, mindless way just to be a filler space for us in that. His name represents his whole being. His name is not a comma for us to regain our thoughts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus was addressing the Jewish elders, but he said this, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, vain phrases, thoughtless phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Again, the ESV study Bible was so rich on this verse. They said that pagans repeated the names of their gods 
or the same words over and over without thinking. Jesus prohibits mindless mechanical repetition. You know, so friends, when we pray, we need, to use, we need to be using God's name, but God's name is more than a comma for us to collect our thoughts to move on to the next sentence. Number six, we use God's name in vain when we use his name to make ourselves look devout. We use God's name when we, in vain when we use his name to make ourselves look devout. Now, you've all heard politicians do this, right? Guys who probably have never opened their Bible in many years, and what do they stand up at the rally? God bless America. God bless you, my friend, right? And they're using God's name to spiritualize themselves and making this look devout when their hearts are really far from God. But it's not just politicians who do this. We can do this as well, right? When we answer people's questions or we speak of God and we use God's name in just kind of flippant ways to make ourselves look very religious. How are you? God is good. You know, you're having a good week. Yes, God has been great to me this week. And we just kind of throw around these phrases that make ourselves sound devout when in reality perhaps we've had a really hard week and our hearts are far from thinking about the Lord. We see kind of an extreme example of this when Jesus talking in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. The two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed. Now, again, he's using God's name here, right? But is this about God or about himself? Look, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's using God's name, but he's using it in vain because he's using God's name to boost himself, to make himself look more devout. And the contrast Jesus gives two verses later in verse 13 is, um, there you go, Luke 11, 18, 13, there you go. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You have one using God's name to make himself look devout, and one using God's name and humility because he knows how far his heart is from God. So when we use God's name to make ourselves look more devout, it's using God's name in vain. Now the last one, number seven, praising God when our hearts don't mean what we say. Praising God when we do not mean, when our hearts do not mean what we're saying. How many times in prayer have we tried to get the right words and the right phrase because of who's listening and who's around us? How many times have we sung the songs on a Sunday morning or in family worship at home and our hearts really aren't engaged with it? Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus warns us about this. The people honors me with their lips. They're saying the right thing. They can say the name of God. They can say the right prayers. They can do all these things. But he says, but their heart is far from me. Friends, that's a real danger for you and for me as well, that we can use God's name in vain when we're singing about God's name and our hearts feel cold we're praying in certain ways to make sure we're praying the right phrases about God, and our hearts don't really mean it. So what have we seen so far? First of all, what was significant about God's name? It's his self-revelation. It shows us who he is. Question two, what is, why is obedience so important? Because it is God's self-revelation. It shows us his nature, therefore he will punish it. Question three, we just saw what is prohibited? Using it in vain. That included mocking him, cursing him, using his name to express surprise and anger, using his name to add to our credibility, using his name as filler words, using his name to make ourselves look more devout, and then using his name when our hearts do not mean it. Now, it'd be easy to stop there, but we can't, because that's only half of the command. That leads us to our final question this morning. What then must we do instead? What must we do instead? Because something important for us to understand is we work through all the commandments. When we talk about the moral law, the laws about morality in the Old Testament, they're two-sided in this. It does not matter if moral laws are stated positively or negatively. It doesn't matter because in, within each command, there's a put off, if you think of our Ephesians language, and a put on. And every command, whether it says you should do this or you should not do this, implied in each of those commands is what you're not to do, but also what you are to do. And if you think about it, when Christ was asked what we saw two weeks ago, what is the summary of the whole law? He didn't say do not, do not, do not, do not. 
He took a lot of these do not commands that love God and love others. There's always the flip side to the moral command. So we come to verse 7. Go back to our text this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So how do we obey that? Well, silence is not the answer. The, the, the solution to holiness in this is not, okay, I don't want to get God's name wrong. Therefore, I'm never going to speak God's name ever, ever again, and I won't break this commandment. That, friends, that's not obedience. That's not holiness. Putting off the sinful does not create holiness. We must now replace the put off with the put on with what holiness requires. So holiness requires the right use of God's name. So how do we do that? Let me give you quickly five possible ways. Again, this is not exhaustive. There's many other ways we do it, but five ways that we can use God's name rightly. Number one, we think deeply about his name. We start in one, we think deeply about it. Friends, we're not going to speak about it if we're not thinking about it. We're not going to use it correctly if our hearts are not full of thinking about it correctly. I love how Proverbs 18.10 says this, and this is an interesting image for us. I think we pass over too often. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Now, how in the world do you run into a name? You don't have a name you can crash into. Well, how do you run into it? You run into it by thinking about it. You think deeply about the name of the Lord. You ponder it. You spend time reading the scripture, meditating on the character, the nature, the name of God, and therefore you run into it. So we begin by thinking on his nature, his character. We see the same thing in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in what? The name of the Lord our God, friends. Our trust, we run into the name of the Lord because it is who he is. It represents him, friends. That means in the midst of the busyness of life, the pull of our devices dinging at us all time with notifications, the pull of the world around us, we have to set aside time to get away from all those things and then focus on the word of God to, so we can know his name, know his character, to trust in him. So number one, we obey this command by thinking deeply about his name. Number two, we obey this command by speaking to God by name. We speak to God by name. Friends, we have an incredible invitation. God has not only told us his name, he's invited us to come talk to him by name. We don't have to be sitting in the corner going, I don't know who you are up there, but whoever you are, I hope you're listening. He's told us his name and said, come talk to me. We are invited into his throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in his time of need. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, we can speak to God as Father in heaven, hallowed be what? Your name. So we're invited to go talk to God by name, address him by name, Father, Yahweh. Jesus, we get to speak to him by name and hold up his name in prayer. King David gives us an example of this when he was in the middle of a trial. Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It's right in the middle, a Psalm of David. O Lord, this would be all caps if you're looking at your printed copy. Guys, Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. Verse 3. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, Yahweh, how long? Verse 4. Turn, Yahweh, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, like, time out. Did I just say we're not to use God's name in filler words? What did David just do? Because he wasn't mindless. He wasn't using the name of God as a comma. He was doing what we saw in Proverbs 18. He's in the middle of a terrible trial. He must do, he's running to the name of the Lord to be his strong tower. He's crying out by name to God, help me, I am desperate. And he's calling God by name, not as a mindless road to the name of God, but using the name of God as a strong tower. He's speaking to God by name in the middle of his trial. He's confessing his sins to God in the middle of this, calling God by name, crying out for mercy and crying out for help. So how do we use God's name? Not in vain. We meditate on it. Number two, we speak to God by name. Number three, we praise God's name. We praise God's name. Psalm 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone 
as exalted, his majesty above heaven and earth. And so we honor the name of God. We do not use it in vain when we take time to sing about it like we've just done this morning, like we're doing again in just a minute. We use God's name not in vain when we praise it in our prayers, when together, individually, or when we're in our families or with our friends and we're praying the name of God and we're proclaiming the name of God in prayer and in praises with one another. So we do not use God's name in vain when we think about his name, when we speak to him by name, and when we praise him. Number four, we do not use his name in vain when we live conscious that we carry his name. We live consciously that we carry his name. I don't know, I don't hear it much anymore, but perhaps some of you heard from the older generation when you were going off to college or somewhere, remember the name you carry. Remember your family name. Again, I don't hear this much anymore, but I've heard it before. That what they're saying to you when the older generation says the younger generation, remember your name. They're saying, remember, you carry your name, your family name, wherever you go. Because how much more so as Christians? If we say we are followers of Christ and our friends have heard that we're followers of Christ, friends, we are around people watching to see, are we carrying the name of Christ? So our question is, are we carrying his name well? Because if we are Christians, everywhere we go, we're to be little Christ. We're to be representing him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I love how Paul says it in Colossians 3, 17. There we go. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything you do in what? In the what? In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, we are to live consciously that we are carrying the name of Christ. That should affect what we say, what we do, what we don't say, what we don't do. We should realize that we are representing Christ. But we saw in the very first question of the Catechism, we are not our own but belong to him. Number five, last thing we can do to not use his name in vain. Number five, we make his name known to the lost. We make his name known to the lost. We have a a, a commission, a mandate to make him known. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on what? The name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And verse 15, how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, proclaim the good news. By preach doesn't mean just what I'm doing on Sunday mornings. So all of us can preach, can proclaim Christ to the non-believers around us. When we make Christ's name known to the lost, we are not using his name in vain. We are holding it up, honoring it, calling the lost to believe. That's exactly what the early church did. I love Acts chapter 9. Verse 28 and how it describes it. So he, Paul, went in and out among them and preaching boldly in what? The name of the Lord. Friends, five ways that we can obey God in all this is that we can, first of all, we can think deeply about his name. We can speak to God by name. We can praise his name. We can live aware that we carry his name. We can make his name known to the lost. Let's bring all that together and wrap it up this morning. Verse 7 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what does the third commandment require? Here we go. Here's the answer for the morning. It's simply this. The third commandment requires us to speak to God and about God only in ways that honor and glorify Him. We are to speak to God and about God only in ways that honor and glorify Him. And don't miss that. In this command is not just how we speak to God. Yes, we can speak to God in vain. We can speak to God, using the name wrongly, to other people in vain as well. So this is about how we speak to God in prayer and how we speak about God when we're around other people. This is what we say to Him, what we say to others. This prohibits us from speaking His name in vain in ways that are empty, that do not think about His name, that do not remember His presence, His power, that remember Him with us. But it also requires us to do something else. It requires us to consciously speak his name in ways that honor him, that glorify him, that hold him up before those that we are around. And let me remind us, friends, what we saw two weeks ago. We're supposed to do this perfectly and perpetually. And we all fall very short, don't we? When we use God's name in mindless ways, when we use it in sinful ways to advance our own agendas, when we don't even use it as all. 
And for that to remind us, when we struggle with something as simple as this one short command, do not use God's name in vain, it points us to our utter helplessness, doesn't it? That in the last few weeks, you and I have all broken this command in some way. We've used God's name in empty phrases, and we've forgot to even pray to God by name. And for days pass, and we're not even calling God by name, we all break this in so many ways. But you know what it does? It points us to the one who never broke this command, Christ himself. Because Christ lived on this earth, was born a baby, he grew up through all those teenage years, like we just commissioned our teenagers, and he never once used the name of God in vain. He perfectly honored and glorified the name of God in all that he did. Therefore, he was able to go to the cross to be our sacrifice as one who can take the punishment for all the ways you and I use the name of God wrongly. He was able to take that punishment so we do not have to be punished for it. Therefore, when we see our struggles in this way, the commands, friends, it does not lead us to despair. It leads us to run to God and do two things. To one, to run and ask God by name for forgiving grace. So we would go to him and say, Oh Lord, Yahweh, Father God, forgive me for not using your name. Forgive me for using your name wrongly. But it also leads us, number two, to be able to run to God by name in prayer and ask for transforming grace. Say, God, do you see how far short I fall in even honoring and glorifying your name as I should? Would you please grow my love for your name? Would you please grow my love for your nature? Would you please grow me in wanting to see your name honored? Would you please grow me in making your name known to the lost and to even be able to go to him and say, Father, I have failed to make you known to people around me. I want your name to be known. Help me grow in that. We go to God in calling him by name, asking for transforming grace. The third commandment requires us to speak to God and about God only in ways to honor and glorify him. With that, I want to close with one question for us, friends. What would change in your life and my life this week if we simply loved the name of God more? What would change in our lives if this week, by God's grace, he stirred in our hearts a deeper, greater love for his name and all his name represents? I hope you'll ask him that. I hope this week you'll go to him by name and say, Father God, help me love your name more. Show me ways I'm not honoring your name. I'm not speaking your name correctly. And ask him to grow us. And let's see what would change this week if God grows in us a love for his name. Would you pray with me? God, it is incredible that we get to know your name. Father, we're sinners who've rebelled against you. We've shaken our fist at you so many times, even this week, saying, God, I want to do it my way. And God, you see the sin, you see the rebellion in my heart and in all of our hearts. But God, you are so quick to forgive. God, you're so quick to be kind to us and to, because what Christ did, make a way for us to be reconciled and restored to you. And God, I do pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that this week, God, you would grow our love for your name. God, to realize that you've spoken your name to us, that you've not hidden it from us, but you've shown us who you are. Lord, help us this week capture the wonder of that, that you have told us who you are, and you've invited us to come talk to you. So would you grow that in our hearts this week, this desire to know you by name, to speak to you by name, and to make your name known all around us. Lord, I pray this week that you show each of us people who are not honoring your name because they may not even know your name. God, would you use us as your vessels this week, your instruments, to make your name known to the lost around us, even right here in Montgomery. Whether it's a classmate at school or a coworker in the office, a neighbor or someone randomly meet in the line at Walmart or Target, Lord, Would you give us much grace this week to see people the way you see people and to be your mouthpiece, to make your name known in whatever context you put us in this week so that your name can be honored and glorified. Father, as we close now by singing who you are, singing that you're the great I am, 
God, I pray you would, through your Holy Spirit, stir the wonder of what we get to proclaim, that, Lord, that none of us right now would sing this with our hearts far from you, but, God, through your Holy Spirit within us, we would be able to proclaim with our mouths what our hearts are feeling, just a sense of awe and wonder at the name of God. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
The mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of his name, King of majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of great I Praise God just where you are for his name. Father, what a beautiful sound that was. Your people together proclaiming how holy you are how worthy you are, and to proclaim that you are the great I am. Oh, Lord, may we not forget that as we get back into the normal routines of this week. But may we remember who you are and your greatness and your glory and your majesty. And may we this week be a people who worship your name and who make your name known. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now, before we go, I want us to say our question out loud again. So our question of the day is, what does the third commandment require? And we're going to put it up on the screen. Let's say it out loud together. The third commandment requires us to speak to God and about God only in ways that honor and glorify Him. May God give us much grace to do that this week, Gateway family. God bless you, and have a great Sunday afternoon.